Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 458 for February 11th, 2016. The Jazz Session is member-supported. You can become a member today for just $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You can also support the show by starting your Amazon shopping at thejazzsession.com slash Amazon. Thanks. On this episode, saxophonist Allison Au. Her new album, Forest Grove, has just been nominated for a Juno Award. From that album, here's the opening track, Tides. Is saxophonist Allison Au, and Allison, we're uh, we're talking just uh, hours, I guess, after you were nominated for a Juno Award. So, congratulations! Thank you very much. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, and I hate saying it this way because it sounds very provincial, but the the Junos are essentially the Canadian version of the Grammys. But of course, we should probably say, you know, the Grammys are the American version of the Juno. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm showing a little cultural bias there. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, so you were nominated for uh, Album of the Year uh, in the group category for Forest Grove, which is your new record. And I wonder if you'd just tell us a little bit about the the origin of this album, which features your longstanding band. Yeah, well, a lot of my music I find, I mean, I, I draw from a lot of different things for inspiration, but uh, mostly it comes from from nature and I visions I see around me outside and, and you know, conceptually like very natural types of uh sources of inspiration. So this particular album I was thinking um, kind of drew mostly from uh, a house where I've lived for many years, my childhood home. And I kind of wanted to pay homage to that and pay tribute to um, some of the scenes of my childhood as well. It kind of tied in well because that's naturally where a lot of my musical uh, inspiration comes from anyway. So I felt it uh, kind of duly complemented each other. Like there was two ideas that worked really well together. And uh, the music itself, I mean, I wrote a bunch of tunes and uh, the music was workshopped many times over the course of, uh, I'd say probably the last three years with the the same guys, which is really nice. Um, I really kind of aim to work with the same people. It's not only because I I love them, which I do, but um, it really allows the music to take shape. And each time with the same personnel, I feel like it really had a chance to develop. And um, the music really grew from, from what I'd written on the page. Is the forest grove of the title a particular place near your childhood home, or is it more a, a conceptual idea? It's the, the name of the street where I used to live. Oh, no kidding. So it, yeah. it, it is extremely specific then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, without knowing the things that you just said, there's no way no one could know this is specifically about your home. But if someone mm-hmm. listened to this music, will they come away with some picture, do you think, some emotional picture of the place where you grew up? 
hope so. I mean, I think ultimately the music's still abstract, and I, I did try to keep it um, uh, open-ended in a way, like open to the listener. And I every time I hear, like I listen back to the songs myself, I think I hear different colors and, and different uh, images that come to mind for sure. But definitely like the root of the inspiration came from a very specific image for me. And this is a question that I ask a lot for albums that have this kind of origin story, but did you describe these images to your bandmates or had they seen the places that were discussed? No, not at all. Not at all. I I actually, (laughs) in rehearsals, I don't say very much. I don't really explain um, uh, the roots of tunes, I guess, like the conceptual roots of tunes. I just bring the music in and whatever they hear in it, uh, we try to go with that. And I find that it's... uh, the interest of the music in mind, you know, like I try to keep that priority because if someone else hears something completely different, I try not to, to taint that at all with any kind of explanation off the top. But uh, that that is a great question, though, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely I, of over the years I've interviewed people who said, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've told a very specific story before we recorded the song or, mm-hmm. you know, shown people pictures or, or read them the poetry that inspired it. And then yeah. others who've said, you know, no, this is in my head, but I want the musicians to bring their own fresh interpretation to it. Yeah, for, for me, I think it's it's definitely the uh, the latter. I think um, I do start with with a very strong idea, but then I try to keep it open. So I I do try to keep uh, the explanation on my end as minimal as possible. And talk about why you do that. I guess I feel like the written composition itself is more of a springboard, if anything. I mean, for one thing, I I do write out bass parts and sometimes piano parts, but for sure the drums, I never write out drum parts. And uh, I feel like the musicians bring their own thing to it. Like, there's no way I could write a drum part as good as my drummer would would come up with something. Um, and similarly with the bass and piano parts, I mean, I do have a, a rough structure. But if either of the musicians have an idea, I try to let them do that because I know that in their hands, I mean, they are the player of that instrument. They they could they should be schooling me on how to write it. So I try to keep that really, really open. And I think the music has a chance to grow more in a different direction. So I try to, and this is really hard, um, but I try to detach myself from the composition as much as I can once it's written down. Yeah, that does seem like a difficult task. I mean, you're kind of, you're birthing this child into the world and then essentially yeah. saying, you guys can dress it however you want. Exactly. And and it's it's a hard thing. It took me a long time to get there. Um, but I think that's the beautiful thing about working with the same people too, is that you grow as a unit. And then when, you know, the time comes when you bring in new music. And oftentimes, actually, I, I write half written pieces or I write uh, one idea. And then we kind of go from there as well. But for most of this music, it, it was completely composed. And it just kind of, it just, it opens it up. Um, I think that letting go of that piece gives the music the chance to breathe. And oftentimes it sounds completely different at the end from what I had originally intended. And I think that's a kind of nice thing. Thank you. 
tell us who's in the band with you. On piano keyboards, it's Todd Pentney. On bass, it's John Maharaj, and he plays some electric uh, bass on the album as well. And Fabio Agnelli on drums, that's the, the core band. And then on the album, we added uh, Felicity Williams on vocals for a few of the tracks. And how did the core band come together? Todd and Fabio and I all met at school. and uh, Which was where? At Humber College in Toronto. Um, and John was a mutual friend of uh, Fabio's, and we uh, we kind of just started playing after I graduated, and it kind of just happened organically. Did it feel like a pretty good fit from the start? Was it something that kind of grew over time? How did that work? I remember I had one of our earliest gigs, probably our first gig, um, John was able to do, which was fantastic. And then, I mean... I didn't even have that many gigs lined up at the time, but every time I got a call to do something, I always asked him and he was just always available. And it's not like, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like it was just, you know, like a random coincidence, but I think it, it did really work out naturally in a way, you know, some things just had to have a natural way of falling together. Were you playing a lot of original compositions from those earliest post-school gigs? Yeah, I was trying to. I mean, I made a kind of a personal goal for myself when I was finished school um, to write my own music. And I had a lot of encouragement from some teachers at college um, to really write. I mean, it was great to play standards, which I still love and I, I hold really dear to my heart as well. I'm constantly working on all that stuff. But at the encouragement of a lot of uh, composition teachers, they really encouraged me to, to keep writing material because... Just of the, the self-discovery, you know, you keep finding new things about what you're hearing and things that maybe even you want to practice. So you create vehicles for, for things you want to work on on your instrument. And I thought it was kind of a fun exercise. And then uh, I started writing things that I, I actually really liked and I, I really wanted to hear expressed as, as a larger ensemble. Now, you said at the beginning that you see in many cases these compositions as the jumping off points for improvisation, mm -hmm. which I think kind of places them in in one, well, not in one, but uh, in a kind of in a general area of jazz composition. There's the, you know, very complex things where there is improvisation, but there's a lot of complex counterpoint weaving its way through compositions. And then there's kind of the stuff that most of us grew up listening to from the 50s and 60s, which was, you know, heads and then, everybody improvises. Do you, do you find yourself falling into one or the other of those camps? I mean, it sounds from your answer like there's, like we might already know. Yeah, well, I do try to um, maintain that idea of, of the head and the, the solo section, but sometimes it's not always as clear-cut um, as maybe, you know, like the, the standard heads um, end up sounding like um, from that time period. But I, I do try to maintain that form because I think there is a lot of integrity in that. And, uh, you know, those those tunes from the 50s and 60s, like they work really well for a reason, you know, and they, they still sound good today. So I do like the format of a lot. And I try to keep that uh, intact in a lot of my own writing. But I also try to be open to, you know, if, if my ear is kind of pulling me in a different direction, I try to draw from other things as well and, and kind of follow follow maybe a different direction if my ear is taking me that way. But certainly, I think from my first compositions, I did really like maybe more strictly keep that format. And it's certainly developed. And there are times where I find that sometimes I kind of um, meander a little bit too much in my compositional ideas. And I try to go back to maybe some more structured like, you know, head and, and soloing like you've mentioned. 
Um, so I guess maybe it, the, to keep a, a long answer shorter, uh, it, it just keeps changing, I think, depending on what I'm hearing and what I'm trying to uh, evoke from each piece. for my interview with Allison Au in a moment. But first, if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member. Your contribution of $5 a month helps me keep the hundreds of shows in the archive accessible and free for all. To become a member, visit thejazzsession.com slash join. You can also support the show by starting your Amazon shopping at thejazzsession.com slash Amazon. Thank you. And now, back to my conversation with Allison Au. say more about the process of editing you said sometimes you feel like you meander are there times when you're listening to a composition as it's being played and you're thinking this actually doesn't need to be here anymore yeah and actually a lot of the editing process happens in rehearsal um there have been a lot of times where at the suggestion of the guys we actually cut entire sections and that's more of like a collective collaborative uh decision and uh i'm happy with that because i think the best edits don't come from yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why writers send their things to another editor to look over first. Of course. And I think I think more often than not, like I think that's really important to have someone like that in a musical context too. And I know uh, people don't talk about that as much in music, I find. Or maybe it's just me that I, I haven't heard uh, as many stories. I mean, I, I wish I, I had of like all the people I've idolized over the years. But um, the editing process is huge. Like, and I, I think... Um, as I mature more and as I get older, I'm, I'm realizing how important it is for someone else to listen to the piece and be like, oh, you know what? That's like a little overwritten or uh, I don't think there needs to be another section here. Or, you know, sometimes um, the best ideas are like the most concise and uh, oftentimes they're shorter, which is why I think in some circumstances we have cut parts of tunes as a group because everyone kind of agreed like maybe it didn't need to be there, you know? And it's only served the music better. I, I feel like it's really, um, it's benefited at the end of the day. Uh, Todd Pentney, who uh, plays piano and, and various other keyboards on this record, also produced the album. And yeah. oftentimes a producer's role is to be another set of ears. Now, he's also a member of the band and he's playing all these tracks. But yeah. did, he, did he take some moments where he tried to step back and look at it dispassionately and, and provide an independent viewpoint to whatever degree that was possible? Yeah, definitely. And, and we did work, I mean, in, in the post-production uh, stages, like mixing um, and mastering, we did work very closely with the mixing engineer. We went through many phases of uh, listening sessions and, uh, you know, taking a couple of weeks to, to not listen to the music and come back to it at a later stage. Um, but a lot of input was also um, put in from the uh, other engineers as well. So, um 
I think Todd kind of gave a really interesting perspective, though, because he was the piano player. He really understood the pieces and he had that time to absorb the music. Like, again, we were playing these tunes for the last three years before we recorded. So he kind of had each tune like he had really listened to each one intently over a long course of uh, time. So he kind of was coming from one, you know, one perspective. And then when we brought it in with the uh, mixing engineer, there was there was another mind, you know, listening back. And then the mastering engineer had another opinion of how he thought maybe it could sound. So Todd definitely had a larger portion of of listening, I think, and maybe he was a bit more active in the process. But for sure, we tried to be open to uh, two other opinions as well. And I guess those are the moments where you get to really put into practice that idea of letting your creation go to some degree, right? Yes. Yes. I think, yeah, it's a great, another great example of, of trying to detach as much as you can. <laughs> it's, it's hard, but uh, yeah, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. I always remember a, a scene from uh, the movie An American in Paris with Gene Kelly, where he's playing oh, yeah. an artist. He's in Paris just after World War II. And uh, a woman comes along the street looking to buy one of his paintings, and he says to her that he actually finds it difficult to sell his paintings because they are things he's created, and he can't go back and, unlike a musician, go back and listen to them again, or unlike an author, go back and read them again. Once he mm-hmm. gives someone the painting, it's gone forever. And obviously that's a little bit different with something that you're going to record, but it, I feel like there still must be some of that same idea of possessiveness. Like, this is... This thing sprang from my brain, and I imagine some of that feeling attaches to it. Oh, for sure. I, I yeah, and I, I think it is. It's it's a necessary part of the process too, because you have to love it and be obsessed with it as you're as you're writing the music down. I mean, much like uh, painting or or, or writing um, in literature. Um, I, I think it. You have to be constantly thinking about it for that period of time. But I think once you feel like it's at some stage of completion. I mean, I guess, you know, it's never really complete, but when, when you're satisfied to a certain extent that you're ready to share it with other people, maybe um, in a rehearsal context or even a performance context, I think you have to remember, like, it's kind of like that yin and yang, like, it's so important, and on the other side, like, no one cares, and it's, <laughs> no, like, it means nothing. And I think the best forms of artwork, I feel like, are coming from that place like it's it's everything and it's nothing at the same time i know it sounds terrible but i i think it's it's really true and it's it's very black and white like that but the black and white is very um cohesive and it, it coexists in like this weird symbiotic relationship you know
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you do actually get a chance to go back in a way that many artists do not. I mean, I, you know, George Lucas went back and revised all the Star Wars films, and most people hated him for it. But <laughs> in the case of a musician, and especially an improvising musician, you get to take these compositions onto the stage whenever you play and if you've had other ideas in the interim or if you want to see how far they can be stretched you're mm-hmm. completely free to do that oh yeah for sure and that, that's that's the beauty of of like of jazz really you know it's 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 never the same um you have elements of the same but you know if uh if the drummer's having a rough day or if the piano player, uh, you know, is like super excited about something and maybe everyone's on a different energy level, but still it's like something beautiful happens when everyone's together, you know, everyone's still trying to, to listen and play together, even though we may all be at different, you know, polar opposites of, of where we're feeling at that moment. Um, I think that's what's really fun about jazz and, and exciting about it. It's, it's constantly evolving, even though there's elements of, of the original or elements of the, the pre-composed section, you know, whatever that may be. Um, it's like, it's old and it's new, you know, it's, it's just like that, that duality I really love about it. One thing about having done nearly 500 episodes of this show is that as I hear myself ask people questions, I often think, Oh, for the love of God, I, I think I've asked that question all 500 times. But I think I'm about to ask you a question I have never asked anyone in the <laughs> okay. nine years of the show because it only just occurred to me when you said that thing about maybe the drummer's having a bad day. There have to have been times when you have played a gig where you would have wanted to be almost anywhere else but needing to, to play a gig at that moment because you're just <laughs> yeah. a human being and that happens. What do you do in those moments when you think, I, I can't make an idea – to save my life right now. I don't like the way I'm, I sound right now. I have this huge thing in my life I have to deal with. And this music so demands your attention and concentration. How do you deal with that when you are really not having a good day and yet there's a performance to do? That's a good question. I don't know if I've, I've thought about it analytically before, but um, maybe, maybe my answer is way too boring too. But I think I, I try to take a moment, look around me and... I do try to listen as intently as I can, so I try my my hardest to get into the zone. Um, I also try to remember, you know, like music is a is a communal activity. You know, you're playing with other people. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not with a backing track or anything like that. Um, but in those contexts, yeah, usually usually it's in a band context with with several other people, and I just try to remember, like it's it's such a gift to be able to play with other people regardless of how you think you sound that day or maybe your your mind is somewhere completely different and, and your your maybe your heart is not completely in it. Um, just try to be grateful for the opportunity that, that you're you're able to play music and spend time with other musicians who hopefully you, you respect as well, you know, equally and uh, I don't know, just kinda like dive in there and try to try to create something. Cause even creating something in a day where maybe you're not having the best time is is uh, an accomplishment, I think. I want to come back to the idea of uh, writing the music on Forest Grove about very particular uh, memories and impressions that you had of the place where you grew up. How do you turn any one of those particular things, like the concept of the street where you grew up or the house where you grew up, how do you turn that into a piece of music? I think it's a very abstract process Maybe specifically with this particular concept, I mean, I'm, I'm drawing from memory, and memory is always something that is filtered through so much emotion, and uh, it's it's definitely a, 
a tainted image, if anything, and not negatively tainted, but you know, tainted by by your by your age and maybe that experience you're having when when you remember a certain scene in your mind. But I think it's it's definitely a mood for me. Um, I do a lot of my writing at the piano as well, so maybe I come across a chord and it just makes me think of a certain scene that that happened or. I don't know, maybe it's like the color of the sky in, in one memory I have or uh, the backyard I used to play in. I think, yeah, ultimately, I think it's, it's, it's quite difficult to, to explain um, in too much detail, but I, it's a very abstract thing. And I think, uh, I think mood, for sure, for me, I'm, draw- I'm drawing from a certain emotion. Maybe even visual, like colors is something I really draw on when I'm writing. Like I, I do feel I relate to like feeling blue or, or seeing greens or purples like very uh liter literally you know colors in in my mind so that I don't, I don't know if that answers your question but I, I think it is very abstract and it's kind of a combination of things working that maybe evokes a sound to me or vice versa i'm kind of noodling a piano and i, I come across a sound and it evokes a memory asked you before whether you describe those scenes or those memories to the band but I guess another mm-hmm. question is do you try to reimagine them yourself when you're about to play these pieces do you try to put yourself in that headspace uh, from which the composition sprang yeah um, sometimes sometimes but um, I think too like in, in the spur of the moment when I'm performing I am just listening to what everyone's doing and and yeah maybe maybe the overall vibe for sure and then of course you know going back to um your other question about when you're saying like if you're having a bad day I mean not necessarily in that context but like just trying to be in the moment too and try to respond to you know the more uh immediate things that are happening in the music as well you know like reacting or responding to uh the rhythm section a certain way but yeah, I would say maybe overall, I, I would try to go back and get in touch with that, you know, that uh, initial idea that I had. 
coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, actually, you're starting a tour of uh, the Western U.S. and Canada. Uh, yeah. It's actually a fairly long tour with a lot of dates on it. Uh, is this like let's all pile in a van or a car and and drive? Is that what this tour looks like? <laughs> yeah, kind of pretty much. I had been planning to go back to uh, the west coast of Canada because we did do a tour um, in the fall of 2014. We did west coast and a little bit of um, – where were we now? We, we went to Saskatchewan, Alberta. Yeah, so we ventured a little bit farther east. Uh, but this time around, I did want to try to hit some different cities that, you know, we, we've we never been to, but also I, I've been personally curious about. I mean, um, it's tricky for Canadians, I'm sure as you know, to, to venture into the States um, in musical groups or in some kind of musical format. Um, and a lot of my friends, you know, within the jazz community in Toronto, it, it's it's quite a challenge, just, you know, visas and stuff aside, let alone like just booking dates and everything. So um, it's something that's kind of piqued my curiosity and it felt the most natural to kind of combine uh, the Canada West Coast with whatever we could get together uh, on the U.S. side. Which looks like you did a pretty decent job of. You're in San Francisco, you're in Berkeley, you're in Saratoga, all in California, Eugene and Portland Mm -hmm. in Oregon, and then uh, Vancouver and other places in in British Columbia and Alberta and Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Um, When Do you notice a real evolution in the music over the course of a two or three week tour when you've been playing, you know, every day or every other day? Yeah, definitely. In fact, this is our longest tour we've done, so that this will be really be interesting to hear. Um, you know how we're sounding by the end of it, which I, I don't doubt. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but for sure, like there's there's nothing like having a chance to play every day or, or close to every day. You know, it's it's that intensity, and it's also just bonding with the guys in the band and having a chance to hang out with everyone. I think a lot of the music develops in the relationships you have with with each member and just having like the downtime to hang out and yeah, I mean, but for sure the, the time on the bandstand is something that I think it's hard to achieve, you know, of the course of any regular month, you know, you're kind of juggling like any teaching gigs or, you know, like other obligations at home and stuff. So it's just nice to have that concentrated time just to play and hang out and just try to make the music the priority for that time. I used to, uh, although I'm talking to you now from the middle of nowhere, I used to live in uh, Rochester, New York, and I spent a lot of time in Toronto, actually, and used to go see music oh, there a cool. lot. But it's been several years, and I wonder what the what's the state of the, the jazz scene in Toronto these days? Oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's um, I don't know what to compare to in terms of the states, because I haven't spent much time in New York. Um, I mean, I've visited many times, but I haven't really lived there. Sure. Um but I think amongst the Canadian cities, of course, I mean, it's the largest. Um, but that said, I still find the Toronto community is like really, really nice. I feel like everyone really tries to support each other. There's a great scene. Uh, there's a number of uh, really nice venues showcasing like a lot of younger bands. But then, of course, there's tons of venues that show like, you know, the heavy hitter guys that I feel like we all... Uh, young people look up to a lot of my teachers, you know, where they're playing and stuff. I I still get a chance to see those guys play a bunch. Um, But it's a nice mix. And there's also a lot of original music happening in Toronto. Um, A lot of bands are, you know, really writing their own stuff and really drawing different influences. So though they may kind of fall under the general jazz category, there's a lot of experimental stuff happening here. Yeah. And I guess because of the close proximity to New York, you know, relatively speaking, um, And a lot of my friends, you know, coming out of school and also friends I've established um, after having finished school, everyone's, you know, still constantly watching what's going on in every other city. So I feel like 
there's still all this exterior influence coming in from even the New York scene or what might be happening in LA and stuff. People are really kind of engaged in a lot of different styles of music. My guest today has been Allison Al. The album is called Forest Grove. Uh, it is your, uh, if my math is not wrong, your second of two Juno-nominated albums, right? That's like right. Each one you put out uh, gets nominated for an award, which is fabulous. <laughs> uh, best of luck. That's in April we find out the winners. Is that right? I believe so. Yes, early April. Okay, great. Well, best of luck with that. Thank you. Uh, and just want to remind folks who are on the west coast of either the U.S. or Canada uh, that Allison and the Quartet will be coming your way starting February 26th in Saratoga, California through uh, March 20th when they end up in Saskatchewan. Allison, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, congratulations on uh, the Juno nomination. Congratulations on the new record. And uh, thanks so much for being on the Jazz Session. Thanks so much for having me. That's music by Allison Au from her Juno-nominated album Forest Grove. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. Find them online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. Please consider supporting The Jazz Session with your membership. To learn more and to become a member, visit thejazzsession.com join. You can also support the show by starting your Amazon shopping at thejazzsession.com Amazon. Thanks. The Jazz Session will be back in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, support live music wherever and whenever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.